Thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from Ben Evenson. Our whole concept behind this reality of what you're made of is that it's more than what's on the outside and like, you know, like, ooh, I got muscles and I'm athletic and I'm smart and I'm beautiful and shh. Right? It's not like what you're made of is not the shell that hold, that's wrapped around what you're made of. That's not what we build our identities around, although sometimes it's very easy to try to, right? But what you're really made of is what is inside, right? Yeah, you've heard all this like super cliche stuff, right? But what we really want to get to is what like builds up and what really, um, like, like what's the word? Solidifies what you're made of is what you give your devotion to. You follow? Like, are you with me on that? Kind of remember something talked about in that realm. So there's one major thing. Oh, sidebar real quick. Total awesome God story from this week. Amelia got totally smashed in her car yesterday. And she's okay. Car's not, but she's okay. She probably didn't want me to say anything, but we're really glad she's okay. Got totally T-boned in, in Lemoyne or something and smashed in the front wheel of her car. But name of Jesus, new car, right? Woo! blessings in disguise, but you were totally okay. Like I got into work a little late yesterday because my kids had a two hour delay and I walk in and I hear Amelia got in a wreck. She's already at her desk. Like she's like organized half the church already. I'm like, what? Hey, when you pray for angels to protect you, they really do. If I had been two more inches to the intersection, you would have plowed in my door and that would have been that. So, yep. So I'm pretty. Bam. Yeah. And this is cool too. She drives a Honda Civic. And it was an SUV that hit you, and his car was way worse off. Yeah, right? His or her there, whoever it was. Anyway, so that's cool. Sidebar. We're going to pull it back to what I was talking about. But this is the big little cliche phrase that's really stuck in my heart, and I've got a really fun Bible story to kind of back that up a little bit. But this reality, and you've probably heard it before, is what you behold is what you become. Settle that one for a minute in your heart. Okay, did you all hear it? Raise your hand if you didn't hear what I just said. I'll repeat it. Okay, what you behold is what you become, right? What does behold mean? Kind of an old King James Version word, right? Behold, what does it mean? Behold. Okay, nobody really knows. Okay, it's used 1,300 times in the Bible. 1,300 times the word behold is used, so it's probably somewhat important, right? I actually looked it up because I'm one of those geeky people, right? I'm like, how many times do they use this? Okay, behold is in the Bible 1,300 times, and I looked it up because I was like, there's got to be. And it's a really profound meaning. I was pretty shocked by it, so I memorized it. You with me? Are you ready? You ready for this? Behold means to look. Whoa, right? Serious. So here's the deal. Here's the Bible story. I love the crazy Bible stories that, that like no one should ever talk about in church. <laughs> yeah. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Genesis chapter 30 if you want. Um, and I'm going to try not to like read the whole thing because it's kind of long. I'm going to summarize parts of it. You guys ever heard the story of Jacob and Laban? 30. 30. Jacob, okay? He goes to work for this guy named Laban, all right? And Laban has two daughters, okay? Leah and Rachel, okay? Two daughters. And he's working for this guy, and he sees this younger daughter, Rachel, and he's like, that's great. 
That's exactly what he said, right? And one day, Laban, her father, comes and says, hey, you've really been working for me. You're really great at what you do. I, what's, your, like, what's your wage? I guess he was volunteering or something or some kind of slave or servant or something. But Laban was like, listen, name your price, man. I got to pay you because you have brought so much like, growth to my wealth and all my everything that you've helped with. What is your price? He says, he says I want to marry your daughter, Rachel, because I think she's awesome. Okay? She's got, you know, really beautiful eyes. Okay, right? Yeah. He's like so into this girl. And Laban goes, all right, you work for me for seven years. You can have my daughter, Rachel. And he goes, dude, that's awesome. No sweat. Okay. And literally it says the seven years was like a few days because he was so in love with Rachel. It was like, yeah, totally do it. Well, guess this is awful. Have you, who has never heard this story before? A few of you never heard this story? Okay. Well, it comes to wedding day, right? And Laban pulls this really evil trick on Jacob. You remember this? And it turns out that he gives him Leah, the older sister, who was, as it says, not as beautiful. Okay. That's just what it says in the Bible. Okay. So gives it, and Jacob goes, what? I worked for you for seven years, but the way things worked back then, it was like too late. Okay. So Jacob's like, what? And, oh, and Laban's like, oh, you, you didn't know the culture of our people is that we don't marry the younger daughter until the older daughter's married. So I figure you could just marry the older one. And he's like, what? Anyway, so he's like, well, I want Rachel. And this was back when they had different wives, like multiple wives and all this stuff. And he goes, well, if you work for me for another seven years, you can have Rachel. He's like, what? Okay, I'll do it. So he does. And he ends up with two wives. So he kind of got like totally... Slammed by Laban. This is like not a good father-in-law, son-in-law relationship. Well, what happens next is actually the most fascinating story in the whole wide world, maybe. Okay? So, um, Jacob was in charge of all of Laban's sheep and stuff, all his flocks, which was a big deal back then. Nobody cares now. Right. But um, here's the deal. So, Jacob makes this agreement with Laban. He goes, you know what? Hey, look, now that I've got wives and I've got like... You know, he's got his wives and he's got 12 kids or something by this time. He's like, I want to go and I want to establish my own thing. And I want to start my own life and start to build my own like homestead and the whole thing. And so, you, so Laban's like, wow, but I really like that you've helped me and you've been a blessing and everything. And, and Jacob goes, okay, well, here's the deal. I'll continue to tend all of your flocks, but I'll take, I want all the spotted, striped and weird ones that come out because like there were certain grades of lamb and sheep and all that stuff. And if they had spots, they were less than perfect. They were kind of like the, the runts of the litter, right? So in this day, and they weren't as valuable. So let, like Jacob says, hey, Laban, if you just let me have all the spotted ones and all the messed up ones, I'll take all the messed up ones. You can have all the other ones and I'll continue to take care of all your better, nicer sheep. But any, th- any of the new lambs that are born that are spotted and speckled, I get to keep. And Laban goes, that's a sweet deal. I can get rid of all the ugly ones, keep all the nice ones. Jacob still tends all my flocks, so they're still going to grow, and I'll get rich. Okay? It's a good arrangement. Right here in chapter 30, verse 27. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Can you picture that? New branches, and he cuts the bark off and makes them all striped. Okay? This is really weird. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink water. So he'd stick these striped sticks in the water troughs when the sheep would come to, to drink. Kind of strange, right? When the flocks were in heat, 
Yeah, okay. If you don't know what that means, ask me later. Okay. And came to drink. They made it in front of the branches. It says this in the Bible, right? And they bore young that were streaked and speckled and spotted. Do you get this? So Laban, I know, I've got to break this down, right? So Laban, Laban's in charge of all the sheep. He gets all the ones that are born with spots and stripes that are messed up. Jacob, sorry. Jacob is tending all of, all of Laban's sheep. Jacob gets to keep all the spotted ones. Over here, Emma. Visual, okay? The spotted ones go over here and they're Jacob's. And all the nice ones are Laban's. So there's watering troughs here, okay? And Jacob puts these, spot, these striped branches in the water. So when the sheep come over, they look at these branches. They behold them. Are you with me? Because you're wondering why the heck I'm telling this story. Okay? And when they look at these branches and then they mate, the sheep that they have are always spotted and speckled and striped. True story. It's right here. Bible. They were generally the minority. Okay? So this, it goes on. It even gets better here. Okay? Um, and then in verse 41, whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place the branches there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones went to Jacob. So all the, every time the strong sheep came to drink, he'd stick the branches in. The good sheep, right? And then they'd have all these strong offspring with spots and stripes. And he got to keep them all. And then when the little weak wussy sheep came over to drink, he'd pull the branches out and be like, I don't want them to produce. And they'd produce uns- like unspotted sheep that were really like gnarly and like skinny and lame, right? Do you follow? I know. This doesn't make sense in our world at all. What? Laban's getting totally like payback now on what he did to Jacob for 14 years. Okay? And then it says like his flock just kept growing and growing and growing. And I'm just like... This is a weird story, right? But there's something to be said in the power of what, and I don't know the chemical, like there's probably some chemical factor to it. I don't know. There's some scientist or agriculture person who would understand, but Jacob understood something that if he could get these sheep to behold something, it caused them their entire DNA to be shifted in a way that he knew the outcome and what it would be. So the question is, or the, con- the statement that I said earlier, is you become what you behold. What you choose to set your eyes on, to set your affection on, what to look at, produces what you're made of. What you choose to give your time, your devotion, your attention to, and all of that is what you become. Go to Matthew, if you have a Bible, chapter 6. I'm just going to go right to it. It says right here, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What you behold, what you set your attention on has the full impact and authority to create and manipulate what you're made of. And every one of you can see that in the culture as you look around you. You can look at people as you walk down your halls and go, I pretty much know what kind of movies they watch. I pretty much know what kind of video games they like. Pretty much know what kind of music they listen to. Am I right? 
because it absolutely manifests on the outside, whether it's how they dress, how they talk, how they walk, how they move, how they like what they do with their time. What we give our attention and focus to creates the inner person of who we are. And I'm not saying we're all going to come out spotted and striped, okay? But here's the thing. Behold is different than seeing. Beholding is actually looking. And I talked a little bit about this on Sunday with the middle schoolers. How many of you can tell me how many cars did you pass on the highway on the way here to church tonight? Anybody know? Not a clue. You saw them all probably, but did you behold any of them? No. Maybe a Ferrari? She knows. See, instantly you beheld out of probably thousands, maybe at least hundreds of cars you saw today, you beheld one. There's a difference between the things that go before you and the things you choose to pay attention to. If I were to tell you all tonight on the way home, I want you to count how many white cars you pass on the highway on the way home. You could do it. Right? Because you would choose to see and look more intently on white cars that passed. You wouldn't even care how many red cars, blue cars, black cars, because you probably couldn't keep track of all of them. But if I gave you one specific assignment, behold, how many white cars will you pass tonight? There's something in God's way of speaking to his people throughout history, 1,300 times, the word look. Use your eyes and what you behold inspires who you become and what you become and what it is that you're made of. It's the devotion of your life. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel like, oh my gosh, I watched a movie last week and I shouldn't have. Like, that is not the heart of what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that if you understand in your brain that God has called you to something great, what kind of beholding will it require for your inner person to be built up and, and encouraged and moved toward that calling that God's put on your life? You can just choose what you're going to behold, okay? I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but Derek and I and our, all our siblings went to a really funny pirate show on, on Sunday night, <laughs> this dinner theater thing. That was like not as appropriate as we hoped it to be, okay? But there was a part in that reality that it was like, as I sat there, I'm like, whoa, this is like not good for my heart, good for my spirit. But there was something in us that by intentional practice, we were not beholding what was happening around us, but we were there and beholding our time with one another, living within it. And I totally was caught by this reality. This is where Jesus lived his entire life. Was in the midst of bars with prostitutes and tax collectors and ruined, messed up, broken, twisted people, talking, cursing, doing everything. And he did not behold it. He altered the situation by who he beheld and what he beheld. That is the life that Christ walked. It wasn't this like, Ooh, I'm going to hang out behind the temple with my posse of 12 disciples and ignore everybody. He entered right into the thick of things and chose what he would pay attention to and what he would allow to bring light or darkness to his heart. That's the call. That's the example he put on us was not to stand back and be like, oh, I don't want to just slide myself, but intentionally go in and not allow the things of the enemy to go into our heart because we're so devoted and so beholding the creator 
who made the heavens and earth, called us by name, made us sons and daughters, set us free so that those things that we see that pass through our view do not stick in our hearts. Because we choose, I will not behold the things of the enemy. I will not behold the things that will destroy my heart and destroy my spirit and put me in captivity because I'm a child of God and I'm free. Are you with me? So stand up. That's all I really got. But we're going to pray. Is that okay? Woohoo! Stand, come forward. It's weird. It's like a line. Anyway, come up a little bit. Give me like one more minute here, okay? I just want you to take a total inventory of your heart right now. This is not a shame game. Please do not go like, oh my gosh, the pastor wants me to repent of everything I do. No. Okay, I want to call you out to say, what is it that you are becoming on the inside? What are you made of right now? And what will you be made of a year from now? New Year's resolution, whatever. I don't care. Just call it what it is and say, I know that God has a high call for my life. And what it looks like is beholding his goodness, his glory, and the things that will bring me life, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All of the things that God has designed for my life that keep me set from set free from all the bondage the world wants to put me under. And every one of you have experienced the bondage at some point in your life. And it sucks. Our choice is to behold the things that God has set out for us and to say, I will not receive darkness and all of this slime and crud that the enemy is offering me. So take an inventory in your life right now and say, God, what am I beholding with my life? I'm not telling you to stop doing this or stop doing that. I'm just saying, what do you behold in the place where you are? You can be in a really messed up environment. Maybe your home life sucks. Maybe your sports team is like wretched talk and conversation all the time. You can be there and you can behold God in that situation. You don't have to behold what's going on in the immediate. You can behold God and shift the atmosphere. It's what you're called to, but it comes down to what you're made of, not what you can fake when you get in that situation. It's when you're at home in your bed all by yourself and you're bored. What are you beholding? What do you behold in the morning? What do you behold when you go to bed? What do you behold on the bus ride to school every day or sitting in your class when you're like in study hall and you're like, this is like so boring. What are you beholding sets the tone for when the challenges come, the really hard stuff comes, your heart is already beholding God in such a way that it's like, oh, please. Nothing will affect me because I know who my God is and I know the things that I've put my heart's attention on. Because you're going to see all kinds of stuff your entire life, but it doesn't have to stick to your heart. It doesn't have to affect and bring darkness to your soul. Because you can choose to behold light in any situation you're in. So grab a hand next to you. And I just want you to repeat after me. We'll just do it. We do this with the middle schoolers. It seems to be a little more ADD effective. Okay. Just repeat after me. God, I want to behold you with my entire life. God, set my affection on you and you alone. God, that the things of this world would fade into the background in comparison to your glorious light. God, I want to behold only you. 
Jesus, I want to become just like you. There's power in my beholding. And I declare purity over what I behold. That every thought would be taken captive and put under the submission of your goodness and your love for me. In your name we pray. Amen. This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.